Hi everyone, uh, thanks for coming today. Uh, my name is Patrick Omani, I'm Creative Director and one of the co-founders of Sky Magic. Paul? Hi, I'm Paul Crick, Head of Client Services at Sky Magic. Thanks very much for coming. So firstly, quick show of hands, how many of you have been to the cinema, been to the theatre or seen a fireworks display? Great. How many of you have seen a live drone show? Great, also good. Very good, thank you. Over to you, Patrick. Oh. Click a disaster. Oh dear. Um, so what we're going to talk to you about today is obviously the future of our skies, the world's biggest canvas. And I think, you know, the point for me was always that interest of going into the sky is the biggest landscape out there. But how do we get there? We've kind of battled across entertainment for years of how we capture this space. And the drones has given this new language, this new narrative to how you populate the skies. I think you're going to have to help me with the slides today. Um, this, this is where we started. And this is where the industry started as a whole. Big aerial structures. You know, this is done off cranes. This is how European street theatre really started, really started to move into the air. Really beautiful, but the scale wasn't there. And also the infrastructure you need support. Moments like this, big cranes, it's always the most dominant feature that you see. You then move on to um, aerial structures, um, big heliums. Really, really important. They're really beautiful in that sense. Um, but they're always very kind of very delicate, very susceptible to the wind. They're really nice. You can get to 10 meters, very delicate. But again, it wasn't giving us that kind of narrative language that we always wanted. Then you kind of have helicopter structures. These kind of really big moments. We've used them before, as has the industry, to move big dominant structures. The helicopter, again, though, dominates. You hear the sound of those props. It was great on one level, but again, it always kind of, we always kept coming back to the fact that it wasn't quite what we wanted. Falling stars, this is a really, really nice feature that came out a few years ago. Tiny little LEDs attached to sycamore seeds, sewn at height. So for once, you didn't have a helicopter, a crane. These were done with paramotors or parachutists. Tiny little LEDs that would sit on the wind and drift down. It was like fireworks coming towards you. Really, really nice touch, but again, limited. And I mentioned that word there, the F word, fireworks. Everyone, everyone talks about us and fireworks. It's, it's almost like the staple at the moment. It's the easy comparison, drones versus fireworks. This is the hint, historic incumbent, but I don't think we're the same. People say, are you going to replace fireworks? Obviously, we are more eco-friendly than fireworks. We powered by batteries, we fly in the sky. But people always think we're going to replace, but we're very, very different in that sense. You look at this shop done by a friend of ours, Group F, a French company. And you look at the scale that they can get to, the distance, the size, and they have that audio signature. No other thing in the world can go bang and pop like a firework can, that sense of the ooh and the awe that you get from the fireworks. We are different. We have the ability to tell stories. The fireworks can't do that, but we are a different thing. We can work together in the sky, unlike with the drones themselves. We have that power, but don't confuse us as an either or. We are very, very different. But what I do find amusing is people have already said to me, oh yeah, but drones have done, we've seen drones before now, what's the next thing? Fireworks have been around since 200 BC, I found out this week. So if drones can last even a fraction of that, our business has a chance of survival. But you know, moving on, you know, the drones allowed us to um, take to the skies. This is the first shot of our takeoff area. 
the ability to move into the sky, the ability to create images 200 meters wide, 100 meters high. It was such a huge moment for us. We really wanted to be able to tell those stories. How do you dominate the sky? How do you tell stories on a huge scale? And the drone gave us this opportunity. But we're only at the very start. We're at the infancy of this moment. People think they've seen drone shows. People think they've seen what we have to offer. But the whole industry is just getting started. There are companies popping up now all over the world. We were very early in 2015, 2016, when we were first there. But now it is moving. There are, there are teams everywhere, and it's only good for the whole industry because the development is moving now at speed. How it started. So I suppose I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot of how we came, how the industry moved, what that progression was from the very first drone show to where we are now. Paul's going to then speak to the wider future piece. So this was back in 20, 2014, early, really early basically in the process. This is when I met our fellow founders, Bob, Sun, Jed, and Hitomi, who sat down in the front here today. And this was really basic. This was indoor drones. This was five drones. And it felt like the most amazing thing that we'd ever seen. I got so excited about it. But this was PhD students. This was people designing swarm technology to prove autonomous flight, not thinking about entertainment, not thinking that this could be a whole different language for the entertainment world. I went to see them, I started talking to them about it, and we were obsessed with indoor to start with. We thought West End, Broadway, we thought it's batteries not included, mixed short circuit, it's a whole new world that we could explore. And then they started talking about outdoor as well, and started taking our minds into that direction. But the world of PhD versus the world of live entertainment, as I found, is two very different worlds with two very different mindsets. Research doesn't have a show day, as I found out. Research is based on a, an ongoing process, whereas in entertainment we have that day and you have to be ready for that day. You can't move that day. But this was always the vision. This is a render that I love to show because this is from way back in 2014 when Hitomi and I were setting out our vision for Sky Magic. And we always said this is where we want to get to. And I still stand by this. This was way back when and we are very close to this now. Because I think the drones have the potential to go in so many different directions outside of just entertainment. The Blade Runner screen is getting closer. And it's a really exciting moment now because we can see how to get to images like this. But I remember presenting it to Bob and Son at the time from four drones in Singapore to 10,000 drones like this was quite a big step for anyone at that stage. This, oh, yeah. This was um, Intel's Drone 100. It's a render rather than the reality. But Intel were coming through really, really strong in 2015, 2016. We heard they were in the market. They partnered with a European team, and they were really, really pushing it. At the moment, at the time, I remember thinking, this is terrible news. If Intel are in the market, we're going to be fried. We don't stand a chance. But it was the total opposite. They, they brought certainty to the market. They brought trust to the market. Be people believed in the process. If Intel were there, then it must be something meaningful. And they came out in 2016 with Drone 100. It felt like walking on the moon. We couldn't believe they got there. They were flying 100 units autonomously above, above an orchestra when they did it at the time. And it was really, really incredible. But it brought that credibility. It brought that global awareness that drone shows were now potentially possible. Now, at that stage, we weren't there. We were still trying to get our system online. We were still developing our own software, our own hardware. And it was a really, really hard process. 
cut to a farm in Yorkshire. So this is where we test our drones, either here or in Singapore. And testing drones and developing drone shows is a bit like the drone under the Christmas tree that you've all had. That drone that you get on Christmas Day, and by Boxing Day, you've crashed it into the wall, you've crashed it into the tree, or into Grandma's hair, one or the other, it's not existent by the end of that week. We just do that on a much bigger, more expensive scale. So we spent many months in fields, crashing drones into trees, into rivers, and sometimes the sheep. But it's a long process and really, really hard. There is no way to get around it. You have to fail to move forward. And we were getting to the point, though, we were getting close. Yes, we weren't at Drone 100, but we were really, really close to our system. And we were getting very excited. And we knew we had to start to tell the market about what we were doing and how do we communicate that. We had invested huge, huge amounts of money to get to this point where we had a fleet. So I said to Hitomi, I think we need to create a, a, a little promo video. We need some proof of value to show people what we can do. <coughs> Obviously, I thought we should do it in the UK. Hitomi thought we should do it in, um, in Japan. Granted, she was right, because this is where we did our test video. I won't bore you with the story to how we had access to Mount Fuji, something to do with Hitomi's friend who has one of the campsites there. But this is where we started. This was 20 drones. And what I love about this shot, and it speaks to something I'm going to talk to you later, is that narrative is still very, very important. This is still one of my favorite shows, 20 drones, not building any kind of images, but we had a layered shot. We had musicians on the ground. We had 20 drones in the sky. We had an incredible location. And that means a lot. It's still not always a case of drone wars. It's not always about, let's get thousands of drones in the sky. You need a fully considered approach. And this was the um, result of that, a very short clip of what we did at Fuji. Hopefully. There we go. granted. Um, but the thing was about this, it, it was amazing for us to do this. It took us, I think, 10 days. Um, Mount Fuji's uh, a wonderful place to be, but it's also an awful place to be because it never looks like this a lot of the time. It's normally rainy, wet, the mountain appears for like two hours a day, um, and you've got to take that moment. But we created this video, and we put it out there. We put it on our Vimeo. We got Vimeo staff pick. We were on CNN. It went all around the world. It was amazing. We got offers for huge amounts of money to do shows everywhere. The only problem was we weren't ready. So the clip was, I'm not gonna say a work of fiction, it was a work of beauty. It was set as a statement of intent for us to prove the market, but we proved it very quickly and very fast. And we weren't actually ready. It was the most frustrating thing in the world, people wanting you to do a show, but you're not quite at that stage where you can do it. And when you talk to developers and you say, when are we going to be ready so we can sign that contract, take that show, they say, we're never quite sure, which is terrible for people like me and Paul who are trying to move forward. So I did that wonderful thing that you do with developers. I signed a contract and didn't tell them. And then I told them we had three months because we were doing a show in the Middle East. And that very much focuses their mind, as you'll find out. And we were ready, granted five days before, but in late 2016, December 2016, we did our first show, 35 drones in the Middle East. It was wonderful. It felt 
incredible for us. Like you knew, I knew I was alive that night because my heart was nearly beating out of my chest. When you're doing it in front of a shake where they have you know, very strong rules about making sure you get things right, and this was the shake's signature, you know you kind of have to get it right. And we did, and we moved quickly from here. We finally got there. We were in the market. We were in the same market as Intel and a few other companies at the time, maybe four drone teams globally at that point. But again, Intel constantly popping up and driving that market and driving global demand, it really pushed the whole industry forward. So very quickly we moved from something like this to last year being flying above the uh, Sydney Harbour. And literally, when you have the trust of an icon like this to fly above an object like this, you know the entire market is moving. And you see across the world people flying in amazing places now, having access to huge moments. And we do shows like this. But then also, this came next, the QR code. So this was another great step forward. You know, not only did the drones give us the ability to tell stories in the sky, tell narrative, people could live interact with the shows themselves. So doing QR codes at this kind of scale, and post-COVID, people being a lot more willing to engage with this kind of technology. So it was amazing. We were at a point then, and we're at a point now, where we're now flying hundreds, if not thousands, of drones, but also giving people the ability to interact with it at the same time. One small dog. OK, so this is, this is an interesting story that I want to take you through. One, because it gives me an opportunity to tell you how we control our drones, how we fly our systems. People always want to know what that process is and how we communicate with our systems. But also, from a narrative point of view, this is, for me, a really good example why less is sometimes more. And yes, people always want us to fly fleets in their thousands, as they always do globally. All the teams are looking to put more and more drones in the sky. But maybe that's not always the best idea. So this was for the, um, the Queen's Jubilee in the UK. So a very, very important show for us. Flying above Buckingham Palace comes with you know, a few nerves and a few um, extra people wanting to know how your system works. This is how it all starts, though. You know, we have huge technology in terms of what we do with the drone shows, but it always starts with a pen and paper. This is my original sketch of the Queen's Corgi. Her comment was, it looks more like a bear, which is not a great start to a creative development process for the Queen of England. But we soon got over that. But this is where it all starts. We then very rapidly move into Blender, which is our native 3D software. So this is what we do all the modeling in to start with. It's a great platform for people to see what we're doing within that space. Um, and also, it allows us to plot the, the camera angles within there. So the, um, the guests can see how we're going to sh show the show. We can see it here just moving around the entire space. We can put cameras in there. It's a 3D environment. And it's a really, really great platform for us, because for once, we can model in this. And it, this forms the basis for our fly file as well. So what people see in Blender is ultimately what we fly in the sky. Um, we then take the Blender file. We then put it into our own custom software. That's where we work out the spacing. That's how we work out to go from A to B within the trajectory. So that's like our secret source. How do we make sure the drones don't crash? That's the next point in the process. We need to make sure we can get very much from image one to image two in the safest possible way. When we come out of this, we're then ready, basically. So we then have our trajectory file once it's gone through our custom software. And we find ourselves on the takeoff pad, one of the most magical places in the world. People very rarely see our takeoff and landing sequences, but for me, I think they're one of the most uh, amazing moments in that whole show. So we upload our files onto the individual drones. So each drone is dumb as well, so people think they're all communicating at any one time. Each drone wears and knows where all its friends are. It's not the case. 
every single drone is flying its own individual, um, its own individual route. Um, we operate now on an RTK system, which is a super accurate positioning system. The old fleet was on a, G a pure GPS system. So when you see a drone team out there, with it's all quite wobbly, quite big spacing. That's when it's just on a pure GPS system. The RTK gives you that level of accuracy now in the industry. That brings that precision. It brings that solid image in the sky that you're really, really looking for. Um, oh, no, no, that one. Um, also within this, then, we have how we communicate with the drones. So we have a very, very simple system in terms of we arm the drones. So that's the prop spinning. We then send the drones to hover. They will fly up in fleets like this, like sheets. That's like their off-stage position. And then we have one go command. So we send a go signal once, and the entire fleet then go until they come home. We do not talk to the fleet whilst it's flying unless we have a problem. So we're not in constant communication with it. We get real-time information back so we can see if we have a problem, but we aren't talking to it or sending additional commands. All the lighting is pre-on-board as well from the very beginning. In terms of safety, we have two geofences around the fleet themselves, so in effect like an electric fence. If it hits geofence one, the drones start to slowly descend. If a drone is going at speed to try and leave, our, uh, leave the show, then it'll hit geofence two, and the props will get killed and come down. It's why it's so important and why we are so strong in terms of having the safety barrier of 50 meters around our entire fleet, because if we do have a problem, we have to bring the fleet down, or one goes through the geofence, you need to make sure it's coming down into a safe space. Um, one pilot and a backup pilot, not 400 pilots or 500 pilots, as often we get at, surprisingly. They're not manually controlled. They're all automated. It's amazing how many times we get asked that question. 400 pilots would look amazing. Um, so just one amazing pilot called Sun Hazik. We've got a huge pilot development program at the moment, as has the entire industry. So there's some brilliant teams out there now. Um, people like the Fly Guys who are like developing pilot systems where you can train and there are different pilots you can move from team to team as well. So that whole knowledge piece is opening up now as well in terms of the industry. We have a user interface as well in terms of the drones as everyone does now. So you can see all that real-time information of how the drones are doing, what's going on. You can't send the fleet up unless you get all the green go commands on the user interface as well. So the user interface now is very stable. The drone system is very stable as, as as a whole, and also civil aviations around the world are becoming a lot more aware of this. When we were early, early in 2016, it was very, very new, and it was almost like a dual education process. We were talking to them, they were talking to us. It was like everyone leading each other. Now the civil aviations all around the world are becoming much more in tune with this, much more understandable. Permissions are getting quicker. That process is speeding up, and it's really good for everyone in terms of moving it all forward. Um, so back to Jubilee, you know, this was um, an amazing night for us in terms of what we did. It was the first time I think my mum had ever understood what I did as a job, the only time she's ever been able to tell her friends about it um, and have that wonderful moment. And, and what we did here as well was we didn't fly the show until the show. So when this was on a national broadcast was the first time we'd seen it live as well. We teched it off-site for the first time and flew it because sometimes, you know, you can't rehearse a drone show in private. You can't do it secretly, but sometimes you need that element of surprise. You don't want to give the game away. So for us to do that, this that night was a, a huge moment. And I think going back to that point outside of our technology, why this show is important and why it's important to talk about, because it was a narrative piece. This was only 400 drones, so not the biggest show in the world, not the biggest show in the UK, not even the biggest show in London. And I remember being in the first meeting where they were talking to us and they said, you know, this is for 
ultimately the Queen of England. We need to have the biggest show possible. And sadly, the Queen's Back Garden is not big enough for the biggest show um, possible. So we had this moment with them. I said, you've got, to, you've got to trust us. It's not about how many drones we have in the sky. It's about what we do with them. And having these playful moments, like with the Corgi, and telling really meaningful stories, and really thinking about that creative, not just looking for quick fixes and trying to use the volume of the drones to carry you through, I think is really, really important. Because even now, when we can fly thousands of drones, it's not always the best solution. And, and even now, we get asked you know, by clients, you know, how, many people, how many times has an agency been there and said, we want the next best thing, we want everyone to talk about it, we want what's new, what's new, what's new? And I think it's just a lazy statement. They're not saying we want something new. They want, what they're saying is they want people to talk about it, they want people to connect with it, they want people to share it. And this is what happened with this and with Mount Fuji. So 30 drones, 300 drones, these are our most shared clips out there, and that is because the combination of the setting is right, the combination of drones working with audio, working with projection, the combined shot is what worked there, the story worked there. So I think it's always key to remember that this is king, narrative is king, and that's how we move forward as an industry. I think we've probably got a little clip as well of um, what we did that night. So yeah, that was, that was the, the Ghibli for us. That was, thank you, um, a really big moment for us because it proved a number of um, factors within the industry as well. And we saw it kind of ripple around um, the world in this case. We kind of proven ourselves, although only last year, the interest then was, was huge globally. It was like a seal of approval in terms of that space. And I think we're only at the very infancy at the moment of what this system can do, what this potential for this platform is but doing shows like this I think and doing shows kind of internationally at this level give that kind of seal of approval it expands the market it's like when Intel did the Olympics it expanded the market rapidly overnight and this is the beauty of now having teams all around the world all working to push boundaries do great shows the whole industry is forcing itself to move forward and developing the next level of technology I'm going to hand over to Paul now who's going to look to the future thanks Patrick <clears throat> uh, thanks, Patrick. So, um, we've seen where, how we got to where we are. So, what's the future of our skies? I think it's really important before we look at the future to really take stock. So, the industry has grown very quickly. We're really nascent, you know, we're looking at seven years. Um, but technology's developed very fast. Um, people are constantly innovating. Uh, the market has grown, and also the number of players in the market. Um, I think it's important to note that the market has not grown uniformly across the world. So certain territories are very much leading in this. Um, I think it, it's fair to say that Dubai and, and the UAE are very much one of the territories kind of leading. Um, so for them, drones are very much part of the everyday language. Um, it's very much day-to-day. -day. Um, Patrick and I were there actually last April. We were just having uh, dinner with a client 
down by the water. And suddenly a fleet of drones came up and I kind of got up like this. I was like, wow, drones. And I thought, hang on a minute, I, I work in drones. And that's still capturing my imagination. Um, and we were messaging some uh, industry friends saying, oh, is this one of your shows, etc." And I looked around the restaurant and not a single person had looked up from their meal or distract themselves from their conversation to look at the fleet of drones. I thought, God, wow, we've really come as an industry quite a long way in this territory. It's very much part of kind of every day. Um, and I think it's fair to say if that had happened in the UK, we would have had kind of people with their camera phones standing up. We'd have had live video calls to people. I'm sure it's very similar in the States. I mean, I remember a few years ago, we did a, a London New Year's Eve show. And it was during COVID. Um, and to Patrick's point earlier about uh, rehearsing and the secrecy piece. Uh, we could rehearse kind of on site then because everyone had to be at home. So we did it in the depths of the night. And the next day, uh, one of the national newspapers had a big spread about how aliens had arrived. And we, you know, I think it was quite a, quite a big difference there between the Dubai approach and obviously UK. So um, it, things are moving very quickly. Um, and coming back to kind of what is next, that's a question that we get asked all the time. So we'll do a show for a client really happy with it and I say great guys so um, next year same time what have you got for us what new things have you got what shiny new things have you got and I think that kind of real desire on the kind of client side across the industry is really driving innovation driving technology and, and making us all look for the future so perhaps disappointingly I don't have a Steve Jobs-esque moment here where I say you know and one more thing and I'm going to uh, announce the new kind of iPhone equivalent of drone that, that's not a thing, unfortunately. But we do have some really exciting developments in the industry, which I'm, I'm really um, kind of keen to share with you um, and kind of look forward. So um, this is a photo of a show we did, I think, 2019, was it, for, yeah. uh, for a, a New Year's show. So these are pyro drones. So you can see a number of kind of, I say, normal uh, drone lights over there. And we've got pyro drones at the front. So what is a pyro drone? So essentially, we're talking about drones that can carry a payload. So uh, they're carrying about half a kilogram. And that payload is made up of, of pyrotechnics and a kind of small starter system. So you can turn it off and on remotely. Um, gives you a really wonderful effect here. So the type of pyro we're looking at is kind of a waterfall pyro rather than mortars or rockets. So that would look quite cool, I think. Um, and, and you can really be very playful with this, this ability to create that kind of beautiful light waterfall moment. Also, the smoke can be played with as well. We've used vortexes and really kind of, you know, tied it in with the show. And I think it kind of, to Patrick's point of, it's not, you know, either or with fireworks. This is kind of quite a nice hybrid between the two. So for this show, there was actually a big fireworks element as well. So it's a really nice kind of piece. Um, and a number of our friends in the pyrotechnics industry have now got their own fleets of pyro drones as well. Um, and kind of moving that that piece forward, so kind of segueing between the, the two technologies. Um, for us, we actually don't have any pyro drones anymore. We did have them for a number of years. But as Patrick said, we've evolved our fleet. And for us, the big thing is that story tell. It's about being able to tell that story effectively in the sky. And for us, therefore, agility, speed, and slightly longer battery life was what we wanted. So our, our most recent fleet of drones are a lot smaller and more agile and don't have that payload capacity. But I do see a future where there is more pyro drone. More pyro drone shows will come. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say that we won't be back in that market ourselves at the moment, but there are a number of wonderful industry players out there who are, are kind of taking this technology forward. Uh, and one thing I'll just touch on, which I'll pick up later, um, but that's about regulation. And regulation is really kind of a big driver in our industry. And so to that point, 
you won't see pyro drones in every territory. They're essentially unarmed vehicles, unmanned vehicles, apologies, uh, with armaments on them. So that's not allowed everywhere. Some territories are happy with it, others not. Um, side piece. Um, so, just want to come back to this, this piece. I know Patrick spent some time on this, but I think it's, it's a really important a really important example of that kind of stage being bigger and the real drive for the industry to, to exist, really, and for our, our involvement in industry was an ever kind of constant quest for making that beautiful stage larger. How do we use the world's biggest canvas to kind of add on to what we're doing on the ground? And I think, you know, the really important thing here is to make sure that the narrative in the sky ties in perfectly with the narrative on the ground. So there's not a disconnect. And I think the, the Jubilee show, you know, with the number of wonderful partners we work with, Stewfish doing the set design and North House doing the projection and us doing the drones, there was a wonderful kind of connection there where the, the kind of show just extended. And there was a wonderful moment with the, the corgi catching a bone. And that bone actually started in the projection. And then as it left the palace, the drones picked it up. It was a great, great kind of tie-in. So the reason I picked that up is I wanted to talk to you about something that we're working on at the moment. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> so good. This is new technology. It was a perfect intro. Um, so this is a render. And the reason it's a render is it's not a reality yet. We're deep in R&D process. So this is um, an example of laser drones. So this is something we're looking at at the moment and our teams are, are testing out. And the reason I talk to you about kind of connection between the sky and the ground is, you know, obviously here we have a physical connection uh, through the light. So initially, we're, we're investigating kind of ground-to-air lasers. I'm going to say, well, what's new about that? We already have lasers. We already have drones. But this is going to be kind of pinpoint accuracy to particular drones in the show to really get that kind of accurate, accurate planning. We're also looking at um, air-to-ground lasers. So that will be drones with lasers on them. And you can quickly see how if you have a wider piece on the ground, this can really kind of make that canvas part of the whole show. Um, and, and another really exciting thing that we'll be looking at after that is drone-to-drone -drone lasers. So as children, we probably all did dot-to-dots. And this is kind of dot-to-dot -dot on the biggest possible scale. And that will enable us to create some really big images in the sky and you know, really kind of elevate that kind of drone show piece. Um, as I said, it's in R&D at the moment. We're looking through technical feasibility. We'll then have to, have to look at a pretty chunky health and safety piece. Um, lasers are obviously can be uh, dangerous if they're used incorrectly and obviously the skies are not just used by us we've also got aircraft there other users there's people on the ground um, but that's coming and I would say in the next couple of years you know you'll be seeing some laser drone shows so just wanted to share that new piece of tech with you okay these are not drones so this is a shot from the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony in the UK, so big sporting opening ceremony. And what we have here is an AR overlay. Now, I'm not an AR expert, and there'll be people in the room here who know a lot more about AR than me, but we're working with a team of AR experts at the moment to really kind of integrate AR with that drone piece. Now, AR's pretty well known, you know, it adds another, obviously, another layer, kind of a, a multi-layer to any activation. What we're looking at is drone shows with kind of visual triggers that will trigger that AR overlay. So I think really exciting in a number of ways. So you can imagine if you're working with a, uh, a big brand that's got very strong IP 
uh, say, a computer games company, and design a beautiful show with them, and they actually want some kind of character interaction there. And so my favorite character is the little yellow ninja. So I can choose that up front, and whatever kind of AR tech I'm using, whether it's my phone or some kind of goggles, I can tell it that the little yellow ninja is my favorite. So we'll turn up at a point in the show, and the ninja will interact and kind of add another layer of narrative to, to my show. Uh, my friend Jane next to me actually is a bigger fan of the, of the Red Ninja, and so she's programmed in the Red Ninja. So she will have a different view and see a different show. Now, as I say, you know, AR is already well known, and we know that overlay, but it will work really well with drones. And um, we're excited. We're, we're doing our first show in the US in the next couple of months, and we'll be using some of this technology. So this is genuinely a watch this space. Okay, so I just put this statement up there. Um, bigger is better, right? I think for some reason as humans, we sometimes equate this. We sometimes equate the fact that a larger show or something larger will definitely be better than something smaller. I think Patrick touched on this earlier. Um, you know, that isn't always the case. If you look back at that, that Fuji show, if you look back at the, the Queen's Jubilee, and there are a number of other shows we've done and other, other partners in the industry have done, and small shows can be really, really effective. The key is having that kind of emotional hook, that narrative piece. And I know there are a number of talks at, at South by Southwest this week that really kind of push and talk about storytell. And it is a, it's true, you know, we all remember shows, we all remember moments in life where the narrative got us, really hooked us on. So I, I do think that, you know, bigger shows are coming, more and more drones. You know, we started off with um, four drones, five drones. We're now, I think the world record is something over 5,000 drones. But every week it almost seems to be broken again and again. Um, so there will, be more sh there will be shows with more drones. It'll be a little bit like TV technology. So sad, very sadly, I can remember watching um, football, soccer, on a black and white television. Show my age. Um, and then we went to standard definition, we went to HD, 4K, and, and above. That's going to be very similar with the, the drone world. So if we come back to this aspirational piece we had um, back in the day, so back in the day, I say, seven years ago, um, you know, having that kind of, having more drones, having that higher definition will enable us to have those kind of virtual Blade Runner-style billboards in the sky. And you can imagine kind of the advertising industry getting very excited about this. Um, and it's something, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. That paramount image that Patrick showed, we're not a million miles from this, really. Um, and looking at, I suppose, we've looked at the kind of glamorous advancements in um, technology. I think some of the kind of perhaps less glamorous things, the kind of behind-the-scenes technology, are going to be equally important um, in driving the industry forward and, and kind of enabling this to be a reality. So firstly, Patrick was talking about um, GPS technology and how we move from kind of pure GPS to GPS with RTK and that kind of correctional piece to enable drones to be a lot more stable in the sky. We've made huge advancements in this, and I think that will only, only carry on and really help to, to make this a, a reality. Um, in terms of drone numbers, so more drones in the sky, absolutely. But to enable that, we obviously need to take off from somewhere. So in 2016 when we did the Dubai Parks and Resorts show. We had 35 drones. We took off from a certain plot of land, our takeoff and landing zone. Now, in 2023, we can fit 500 drones in that same spot. So you can quickly see 
in particularly in built up city environments, where as Patrick said, we always have to have for every show our kind of safety perimeter. But if we can, in that takeoff and landing zone, have more and more drones, we're to make higher and higher definition shows um, within a built up environment where ultimately that's where the eyeballs are. It's all very well doing a 5,000 drone show in the middle of the desert, but if no one can see it, you know, I question beyond a piece of camera what you're getting there. So that's really exciting. Um, I think the biggest advancement is probably not going to surprise you, but we're kind of on the cusp of a bit of a battery revolution. It's really driven by that kind of EV market. Um, I mean, batteries are important in all parts of our lives. You know, how far your electric car will go, whether you buy an electric car at all, um, how long you have to sit in a corner of an airport by a plug socket charging your phone before you get on a plane journey. And drones are no different, really. So as that battery revolution develops, I think we're going to have the ability to have drones that can fly for longer. So why is that important, you say? So at the moment, generally, industry-wide, drones can be in the air for roughly 20 minutes. And that's to allow for kind of takeoff, get into show position. You generally have an eight-minute lights-on time for showtime. And then you've got time to come down. That gives you some reserves to kind of buffer against wind, some reserves for safety. Um, and ensures, I think, eight minutes is, a, is pretty good for that kind of wow moment. Gives you enough time to tell a story. If a client wants a longer show, you suddenly start looking at multiple fleets of drones. So that's eminently possible. Um, we did a show about three years ago where the client was doing a ceremony and they wanted drones to feature a big part of the ceremony in the background to really extend that stage up. So Patrick worked as air traffic controller that day and we had three independent fleets of drones. So he was literally running a small airport pretty expensive to have three fleets of drones on site and also pretty complicated. So you can quickly see with better battery technology, we could have actually used one fleet. Fleet could have come up, lights on, couple of minutes at the start of the ceremony, lights off. Hovering there in the background, no one knows they're there. Midway, another little piece, lights off, back end, another little piece. You've used one set of drones. That's cheaper, much more efficient and enables that kind of canvas to be used much more effectively. So we're really excited about where battery technology is going to take us in the next five years. Um, and I think, you know, so should you be. Um, okay, so this is a render of a drone taxi. So you've probably all seen Back to the Future. Um, long time ago now, wasn't it? Um, but drone taxis are, are coming, I think, probably closer than ever. Um, we've got drone deliveries as well. So the skies are going to be a, a lot busier. Why is that important? So coming up on that regulation piece that I talked about earlier, regulation and kind of permissions are really central to any drone show. And why is that? Well, we're using the skies. The skies are regulated space. We have to get permissions from local aviation authorities. Every drone company has to get that permission from the local aviation authority to say, yes, you can use the space during that period of time, no problem at all. Um, as Patrick said, they're not designed and they're not set up to clear drone shows. They work on kind of aviation, much bigger picture stuff. But because drone shows are now much more prevalent, they are becoming a lot quicker at clearing them. So traditionally, we would guide a client that you might need up to three months to get permissions for a drone show. That's an awfully long amount of time. 
It doesn't really allow for much reactive kind of marketing from a brand or a last-minute event to have a drone show. There's always that kind of, will I get a permission? So I think that timeline will come down as um, aviation authorities get more used to the technology, more used to clearing it. However, as I said, drone taxis, drone deliveries, the skies are getting a lot busier. And so those aviation authorities are going to have to deal with multiple requests from multiple parties trying to use the same airspace. So we're going to have a bit of tension here. And I don't know how that will pan out, but I suspect there's going to be you know, there's going to be a limit to how quick they can clear things because they are looking at multiple requests. So just one to look out for there. So, just kind of summing things up here. I think it's a really exciting time. I think we're kind of at a tipping point in the industry. Um, it's relatively nascent, as I said, but that technology is stable now. There are drone shows every single day in the world. That's really exciting. Um, I think I did a show of hands earlier. I think you guys are not necessarily an atypical audience here. But I think if we were to look at the average person, they will have been to the cinema, they will have been to the theatre or seen a fireworks show. That will be in their kind of everyday language. I bet most of them have never heard of a drone show. They don't even know what a drone light show is. So we have a very kind of untapped audience but we have the technology, we have that kind of storytelling ambition to really kind of take the skies and, and use it to tell big stories and engage and wow, wow people. So, yeah, very exciting. Um, yeah, and I hope that's been really useful for you today. You know, that's us wrapping up, taking you through our journey into the sky. And welcome any questions if you want to have a chat. Thank you. Yeah, right, great, yeah. Um, just a question, if you're sort of willing to share, what's a, a general ballpark of costs to have a show like that, an eight-minute uh, 400 drone show? I'm just trying to work out, is it cost prohibitive for the average sort of company? Is it up to big governments or those that have the big budgets that can only do these? Yes, yeah, so it's very variable in that sense. So it, for us, it very much depends on what the show is where it is, where our fleet is, where our operators are. But, you know, you are in multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to do yeah. a single show. We'll also have a kind of a wider program if we think there is uh, value there, if it's a charity job, if it's a TV job where we'll take a view, if we think that show creatively is informed and should happen, then we also have a number of slots within our year in our programming where we'll take a view on certain projects which we think move the industry forward or are kind of really creative, exciting as yeah. well. Um, uh, my, my question would be on the image that you show an AR trigger yes. uh, um, in, in the stadium. So, so um, me thinking about using, uh, like, like designing an AR trigger uh, on on the phone is quite is freaking difficult uh, uh, for 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 to 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 track an object in the skies, especially if it's the small one. How how can you like? Um, design the drone to be triggered by it by a phone. Yes. Yeah, so w with the AR trigger on the, the QR code, it's we went through a lot of trial and error, as you can imagine. And I think for us, um, 
Because the, the drone display is so large, what we found is a number of the phones, if you, were, if you were relatively close proximity to the fleet, it wouldn't trigger. If it was too big in the shot, then you'd never get there. If you're, you know, our audiences are always best you know, 300 meters or something like that way. The, the distance you need away, you need to set the QR code so it's relatively small within the screen of your phone, and then they trigger. So even on this slideshow today, we tested it this morning, the QR code still triggered on the phone, even from photograph to phone as well. So there is a basically, if we want to do a very dedicated QR um, code in the show, then we have to be very prescriptive of where the core audience are to make sure that distance from phone to sky is the right distance to make sure it triggers on the phones. You also then have the issue that different phones seem to respond differently. So, yeah. you, you know, your, your Apple versus your Samsung seems to treat it very, very differently in the sky as well. But when we've done them now for Paramount and for a festival, we did an insurance company and for a show in Greece, we've refined it down so we, we now have those viewing distances that work to make sure the resolution is right so that the triggers are there. So it's working quite successfully now in terms of a, a trigger in the show. And, and it's a nice little touch point as well for that additional information and that live interaction within the show as well. I think there's always going to be a sweet spot, isn't there, really? Um, and I think it's, it's great to, to use those kind of things. But, you know, I think the first ever QR code that, that came out in the world, we suddenly had a load of phone calls. Everyone going, hide like a QR code in the sky. We were like, OK, well, that's, that's fine. We can, we can look at doing that for you. But we were then saying to them, why do you want to do a QR code? What's the story? What are you driving people to? Well, we want a QR code in the city. OK, well, by the time people have seen that QR code and got their phones out, the show will have finished. So we need to make sure that that's part of a wider narrative, that you've really thought out what you're driving people to, how you're going to get them there. Um, but as Patrick said, it's, it's a really good technology to kind of, I suppose, take it beyond the skies and, and you know, drive that narrative further. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned audio and, and music and its connection. Yes. Uh, are the drones themselves projecting audio? And, uh, you know, when you talk about the future with laser projections, do you see a world where audio could be incorporated with the drones? Yeah, so audio is, a, I mean, we actually totally missed that in our talk, so thank you for that. So the audio is, I think, the single most important additional piece. So two points to your questions, great questions. I think the audio is so very important. See a drone show with no audio is okay, but to have the audio running alongside it is monumentally different. And we, we have this conversation with clients all the time. They'll say, oh, we've got a track we'd like to use. And it's, it's never as good as having a composed piece of music because you need to amplify what's happening in the sky. It's why the Fuji piece was great when we had the live orchestra below us. But like the, the audio is so fundamental for enhancing that moment. And we've done it both with broadcast audio, live audio, and then also in-ears triggered off phones. So the audio piece is fundamental. At the moment, we are that is to track, in effect. So we're queuing on a timecode system, the audio alongside the drones. The drones aren't influencing that track. But the, the principle of the two being connected is very interesting. And no, Hitomi has always been keen to do more of a live interaction piece between like DJ or orchestra, so then the lights are responding in real time to the audio performance itself. And could we do something where the actual drones are influencing the track? Maybe that's height-based, maybe that's speed-based. I think is wide open. Like this whole platform of like syncing up that, the, all the disciplines together between light, sound, and audio is, is really key. We've never gone there yet, but it, it will be a really interesting platform to explore further. Yeah. Here we go. Great. That's it. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone.